G'day mate, 40 here. So I notice with the more higher IQ end of the news discussion section, you get a lot of people talk about how depressed they are by the success of talentless hacks. You hear about Richard finding it depressing that uh, Nick Fuentes is so popular or that Tim Pool is so popular. And I'm, I'm trying to understand that mindset. Like, I, I've never gotten depressed by the success of talentless hacks. It's, it's irrelevant to me. I, I don't believe that uh, success is something that is puzzled out according to merit, according to intelligence, you know, according to goodness, according to clarity, according to righteousness. I was just kind of amusing. Why, why would anyone get depressed by the, the success of talentless hacks? Unless you're so incredibly self-absorbed that you believe all success in the world simply belongs to you. Or the other alternative is you're just completely disconnected from reality. And so you don't realize that success is not apportioned precisely on, on the basis of merit. So here's uh, Richard Spencer and company. He called me like for fun truth. He's like, what do you know about him? I was like, well, you know, I met him in 2016. He interviewed me. I actually talked to someone who, who was like, it's this weird mirror image that you're watching. And I, I, I think someone, someone who's a journalist actually told me this in terms of Temple. And it, it was like a light going off because I was, um, I actually talked to this guy. So the success of pundits like uh, Richard Spencer or Tim Pool or Nick Fuentes or Luke Ford is not according to merit, not according to clarity, not according to righteousness, not according to depth or profundity. It's according to how well you meet the needs of your audience. Tim Pool meets the needs of his audience for excitement and drama. Uh, Richard Spencer meets the needs of his audience for excitement and drama. It's just Richard's audience is about 20 average IQ points higher than Tim Pool's. Uh, Richard's audience is about 20 IQ points higher than David Dukes or Nick Fuentes. But they're still meeting the needs of an audience. It has nothing to do with merit. I did this huge, like, takedown of Temple and um, for the New York Times, actually. And, I, and he just, I think he called me, like, for He's like, what do you know about it? I was like, well, you know, I met him in 2016. He interviewed me a few times. I, you know, I was like, I don't really have anything. But we kind of talked it out. And I, I don't know, he was kind of, like, working on his thesis or something. I might have even helped him to agree. But he said something that the light went off in my head because I was like, it's so discouraging and just even depressing the fact that this guy who is just fucking talentless and he has no gift. So why does Richard find that so depressing? Like, it's never occurred to me to feel depressed by the success of Tim Pool. He's not someone that I turn to. But on occasion, he's done some good work. Like, I played a few minutes of one of his videos recently that was pretty good. But he's not a talentless hack. He's very talented, very hardworking, at meeting the needs of his audience. Now, when a hawker meets the needs of a client, all right, this is not necessarily something that's meritorious or righteous or holy or transcendent, right? It's meeting the needs of an audience. So sometimes business meets the needs of an audience and they're doing something that's good and meritorious, but there's no inherent connection between meeting the needs of your audience or being a business that dishes out goods and you know, dishing out something that's righteous and good. Right? Plenty of businesses you know, make money you know, selling toxic product. Yes, like he's, he's like, he, like on, the, on the intelligence scale, he's a five. On the looks scale, he's a five. On the charisma scale, he's maybe a zero. On the... 
Okay, Tim Pool is way above average in intelligence. He's got the ability to speak to the 100 IQ crowd, but he is not 100 IQ. He's probably in the 120s. Uh, any scale, you, 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 there's just nothing there. You know, Fuentes has a lot of charisma, and he's smart. Um, on the kind of like ideology scale or whatever, I think he's low. Like he, he doesn't get it, but like he ha you know, I understand why people want that. I can look at like a. Uh, Nick Fuentes doesn't get it. He gets what his audience wants to hear. He gets that very well. He gets it more effectively than any other pundit in his genre. And he gives it to them. He delivers. So, no, he doesn't have the philosophical depth of a PhD in philosophy or of a, a great intellectual. He, he's no Eric Hoffer, the longshoreman philosopher. But he is an entertainer and pundit who gives his audience what they want to hear. And even if it disgusts me, I kind of understand why this guy, you know, gets people to donate a hundred grand every Sunday. Tim Pool, I'm just mystified. I'm like, how could you possibly want to listen to this person? And he said, that's the secret to his success because all of the guys, and it's mostly guys who are listening to him, they're just like him. They're wearing a t-shirt and a beanie cap and they don't understand the world or the news. And they have bad opinions that are reinforced and affirmed by this idiot. On top of that, he has like the aesthetics of a tech bro. He does, yeah. And a kind of, uh, it's like a combination of a tech bro with a maybe kind of a working class little quality of that too. So, because yeah. he surely reaches more people outside of tech bros. But yeah, it's like some low-level coder or some guy who runs websites or, or probably a working class person. But he just, he's a mirror reflection of who they are. Oh my God, working class. And so that's the secret. And that that's is the kind good. of like, we've moved away from an authority figure and we've moved to a mirror reflection and how we consume news because you know he does meta analysis so he'll read news columns or stories on the air so rich is disgusted that someone who's working class and not aristocratic is successful and has gained an enormous following right this is success money and the following that really richard feels belongs to him then he'll comment on them but it's not like the people watching him are actually like they've read the New York Times or, or the Huff Post, and then they go to get his commentary on it. They're they're not getting the actual story. Like they're they're getting the commentary, which is liberals are crazy, or whatever he's saying. And so you move from like Walter Cronkite or Tom Brokaw is the voice of God, or is the voice of your father, or your college professor maybe, or your high school principal. Is it some male, older, gray-haired? Look, Walter Cronkite's show was aimed at an average audience with a 100 IQ. Network shows are aimed at an audi every audience with an average IQ of 100. Uh, Tucker Carlson shows probably aimed at an audience with an average IQ of 100 to 105. So it's not like Walter Cronkite was aiming at an audience with an incredibly more elevated IQ than Tim Pool. A three figure. And you move to a mirror reflection of yourself. And you don't even bother with the actual everyone's looking for a reflection of themselves we're all looking to create a world around us that's most conducive to our thriving right we all see the world not as it is but as we are news you just go right in for the like dumbass take <laughs> but that's a huge thing the, the dumb take is what a lot of people want to hear right people just want to hear that their side is awesome right so that's meeting a need He's meeting his audience's needs. Because more people listen to Tim Pool than certainly watch the nightly news by a factor of a thousand. Uh, that's not true. 
Uh, several million people watch, uh, what, probably 10 million people watch the nightly news. That's a far bigger audience than what Tim Pool gets. It's like a new concept from the internet. Yeah. Yeah. It's a depressing statistic. I mean, it's, it's a perfect hugely example. depressing. It's a perfect example of being like... Why? Why is that depressing? Don't you know what 100 IQ people are like? What they want? You, you really expect 100 IQ people to seek out commentary that's aimed at a 125 IQ crowd? Like, how removed from reality, how delusional, how self-centered do you have to be to find any of this depressing? It's just reality. I mean, like, how you could be a talentless hack and still, like, make a decent chunk of change, quite frankly. Like, I'm sure he's probably monetized his channel quite extensively. So, oh, yeah. He stays on YouTube. He does it every day. He does hours a day. He does live streams. I mean, he, he... Yeah, he works hard. He meets his audience's needs. He, he produces material that people want to hear. And he's successful. I mean, one thing, one problem that I have is I, I do get kind of, I won't, I won't say bored with things, but like, I, I need to be stimulated in some other way, you know, like, I don't. Yeah, smarter people, right, demand you know, smarter entertainment, smarter commentary, or they get bored. If I'm going to do a podcast, then I want to go and like do some editing or do some original writing, and then I want to go and like do something like this, which is freeform, and I get to think through things, and then I want to. You know, whatever. I mean, the idea of just doing the same crap like five or seven days a week is just, yeesh. Well, Richard could be producing a formidable intellectual body of work. Like, he could be producing books. He's the intellectual that he thinks he is and says he is. If he's a serious thinker that he just self-describes, then why isn't he producing books and essays instead of tweets and podcasts? You know who Dr. Laura was, Richard? Dr. Lauren? The, Dr. Laura, the radio woman from the 90s? Yes, I do know her. She's been doing the same exact... She's still on Sirius XM every day, and she's been doing the exact same format for like 40 years. I cannot imagine how she's not bored of that. Yeah. Well, there's a certain type. Well, Dr. Laura deals with you know, basic human problems that haven't changed that much in 40 years. So I think she's very good at what she does. She has a knack for you know, cutting to the moral core of an issue. So, yeah, there's an evergreen demand for what Dr. Laura has to say, similar with a, with a Dennis Prager. Yeah, and, um, you know, I'm not that type. Yeah. If I was in corporate America, I would be. So, yeah, people like Rich and people like myself, we, we're not content to hoe the same row. Right, we're always have to be after new intellectual adventures. We're intellectual gigolos. We're falling in love with every beautiful idea that comes along, but ultimately stay loyal to none. Like quitting my job, starting companies, and you know, moving on and <laughs> whatever. That's just kind of how I am. Be on Shark Tank. Yeah, I'd be on Shark Tank. Um, Shark Tank. But I don't know. I, I don't know. Is there any more in this that we need to squeeze out? I have one disgusting comment, and that is sure. that, um, in the same way that um, pornography has been re-monetized through OnlyFans, um, I think uh, the news has been as well, because I think yeah. what happens with OnlyFans is that um, it offers a lot of men, you know, this bullshit parasocial, like, connection between content producers and themselves, you know. Why is it BS? Like, why is it any more BS than all sorts of other transactional relationships? Like, we all want to feel connected, we all want to feel alive we all want to feel like we're living from the inside we all want to feel 
strong and bonded and uh, some people they're so dysfunctional or their life has turned in such a sad direction that they don't have access to normal human bonds and so people turn for connection where they can get it so some people turn to drugs and alcohol and you know all sorts of uh, online entertainments but uh, there's no way of living without connection we're wired to connect if you don't connect in a healthy way you'll connect in dysfunctional ways but for some people like you know live streams and podcasts their primary form of connection is better than no connection you know they're able to like direct message their virtual girlfriends and yeah. uh, now they have assholes like Nick Fuentes and Tim Pool to like hang out so why are Nick and, and Tim assholes like and I was really lonely when I was going through chronic fatigue syndrome like I had a you know a virtual friendship with Dennis Prager I'd listen to him on the radio every weekend I called his show about 30 times and that was the lifeline that I absolutely needed during very dark lonely scary times when I was in the grip of something that nobody seemed to understand and my life had collapsed around me where I had no strength where I was spending 20 hours a day in bed where I could see no path forward and through my virtual para social connection with Dennis Prager you know, I was able to keep going and find a meaningful happy fulfilling life in Judaism make a lot of friends in the Jewish community become intellectually socially culturally absorbed in the, in the Jewish narrative so often the the parasocial relationship can lead to real relationships real friendships right how do people have met from my live streams they've employed each other they've invested in each other they've dated each other right just because you have parasocial relationships doesn't mean that you don't have the real thing doesn't mean that the parasocial relationship never leads to the real thing and I, i fail to see why listening to a podcast is somehow morally or intellectually inferior to you know watching tv this can be a good path forward this can be a positive addition i mean I, i think it's just a matter of like monetizing parasocial relationships right because that that is the thing it's like so why should parasocial relationships not be monetized like does monetizing something uh, defame it does it dirty it right if you're meeting someone's needs for connection or guidance or wisdom or excitement or friendship or depth or wisdom or laughter or if you're meeting someone's needs then what's wrong with monetizing it so we're here in Rosecutters Bay Sydney east and suburbs I got my cheap Oppo phone I'm playing uh, some excerpts from uh, Richard Spencer's recent show on influencers like you know 20 years ago um newspapers and magazines were flying high they were making huge profits and even magazines uh, newspapers started going into decline in the 1950s and this decline accelerated dramatically in the 1990s but really accelerated after about 2002 so newspapers as a business were only held together by the artificial mechanism of classified ads right because the classified ads are primarily paid for newspapers and journalism journalism is rarely paid for itself 
things like GQ or Vogue or whatever. Every summer, they would they would put out a double issue that was probably like 500 pages or something. And it was like two-thirds advertisements, full-page advertisements. It, it, remarkable. Um, and they were making profit, you know, hand over fist. And um, so 20, you know... So what are the big news outlets in Australia? So Rupert Murdoch owns about two-thirds, about 70% of newspapers. And there are three major networks, uh, Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10. And uh, now they're increasing streaming services. So I'm able to get all my sporting needs met here by KO Sports. It's an online streaming service, $25 a month. I can watch the NFL, watch baseball, basketball, etc. So uh, Rupert Murdoch influences disproportionate influence on the uh, news media in particular over here. And then Channel 9 was long the major TV network until it got slashed at the beginning of the aughts after about 2002. Channel 9 got slashed to the bone. Uh, Channel 10 was always the third place TV network. So Channel 9 was the TV network aimed at you know the, the, the power players. It was number one. It was you know, secretaries had big tits and wore high heels, and its executives drove, you know, expensive cars, and they had l- luscious offices, and when there'd be an advertising break during a Sunday night movie of the week, like, the sewage department would be able to tell that, you know, everyone was going to the bathroom and flushing, right? So that's how dominant Channel 9 was. Well, Channel 7 was kind of aimed at a suburban audience. It was, it was more... It was more bogan. It was more uh, you know, talking to each other with, with nicknames. You know, a bunch of blokes around a Barbie. And then Channel 10. What, what audience is Channel 10 aimed at? Is that aimed at the audience stuff? So 7 has become the number one network as far as I know in, in the past 15 years. So they've been very successful at the, the suburb, suburban audience. So Channel 7, like they will encourage their guests to come on the morning show and, and call, call the host by you know, their nicknames. Right, but what's the, what's the audience for Channel 10? They, they used to run just a bunch of cheap reruns. Now, in the early 1990s, uh, all the three Australian networks were bought. So the Lowy family who owned uh, shopping centers. What was the name of their shopping center? And also, uh, I think Frank Lowy, the, the patriarch, he tried to secure the, the World Cup for Australia. They had spent $40 million, but they weren't able to secure it. Went to Qatar. <sighs> Thinking about the, the major shopping centers that the, the Lowy family owned, in, mainly in California and Australia. Anyway, the Lowy family bought Channel 10, and they, they spent big, you know, buying Westfield. Yeah, Lowy family owns Westfield. So in the early 90s, they bought, I think, Channel 10, and then there was a new owner for Channel 9, and then there was this, this scam artist who bought Channel 7, and they all went bankrupt within a year or two. They dramatically increased how much money they were paying for American TV programming, because Australia is a nation of 25 million. They can't, can't afford 
to fund all its own TV programming, so they have to buy most of their TV programming from America. And so when you got new owners, they went to America and they just paid exorbitant prices and so they all went <laughs> they all went broke and busted and they had to had to sell out yeah that was my pet dingo man that that dingo took my baby so i like the abc so the abc probably aims at an average iq of about 110 so it's the national broadcaster it's like the equivalent of pbs but more lavishly funded so i've been watching the australian tv comedy fisk is about a woman in her 50s who gets hired at a probate law firm. Uh, SBS, yeah, a lot of good stuff on SBS. That's the multicultural broadcaster. So, But they have ads. So I really like ABC. There's no advertising. SBS is just a small amount of advertising. ABC is run by left as well. It's run by elite. Yeah, it does does lean left, but it's much more intelligent than the commercial networks, which which dole out the prol feed, right? The Australian commercial networks probably aim at an average IQ of about 95. Well, I feel like the, the average American TV network aims at an average IQ of 98 to 100. SBS used to air raunchy European movies at night. So even the public broadcasters, they still need to command an audience. But I think there's a lot of good stuff on the ABC. I'm trying to think of... Uh, they did a, a good dramatic series on the fires in Victoria. And... What, what was the... What, they just did a series I watched about a girl gets out of prison after serving 10 years for manslaughter. Good-looking Sheila. And goes back to her hometown where she's not too welcome. So... I check out what's on the ABC and then I go to IMDb to see what its ratings are. They did a good series newsreader about a TV station, I think, in, in Sydney and uh, the various newsreaders at the station. Ten years for manslaughter in this country? Yeah, well, I told you it's a, it's a fictional show on the ABC, right? So I think the average murder in the United States prior to the 1980s only served about six years. It's only once Republicans got into power, massively upped incarceration, that we managed to get a handle on the, on the crime rate. Okay, so why do people get so depressed about the success of talentless hacks, right? It's a lot easier to gain a large audience if you're aiming for an average IQ of 95. Well, at the turn of the century. They were making huge profits during 9-11. Everyone was reading all this stuff. Then... Um, the internet broke through, and all of these local papers went under. The big boys kind of had enough institutional weight. But the newspapers went under because they had an artificial business model, right? Their business model wasn't journalism. It was that they had the monopoly on classified ads. As soon as they lost that monopoly, they could no longer fund journalism. All right? So journalism has rarely paid for itself. The internet introduced more reality into the journalism business. Continue, but you know, they, and they have found a way to monitor. Underbelly was a great TV series. I watched the first season twice. I've watched every episode of Underbelly. Seppo is, is short for septic tank, which is short for American. 
Oh yeah, another big difference between British, Australian and American TV is that in American TV, when someone does something bad, like do drugs or have irresponsible sex, they always get punished, usually in the same episode. But in British and Australian TV, they may not get punished at all, or it may not even happen that same season. So American TV is much more moralistic. You know, if someone does something bad, they have to get punished right away in that episode. So American TV and movies much more optimistic, you know, many more happy endings. So British and Australian shows have you know, more of a fatalistic understanding of life monetized through subscriptions and things like that but like whenever i go to a local news article and they're like you know do you want to read this article for 7.99 or do you want to sign up for like 1.99 per month to read this paper i'm just like no, no, yeah, <laughs> you know? no. yeah that's okay <laughs> yeah and so they they're able like how is that going to get monetized porn is another thing like through not even before Pornhub, like you could just kind of find free porn through various means and so it was like who's paying for this uh, well people want connection right people want connection with the their favorite actresses, with their favorite pundits, with their favorite journalists, with their favorite rabbis. All right, so just getting free stuff on the internet doesn't always cut it. Um, and uh, yeah, but then like OnlyFans was able to remonetize it. And in the same way, like people talking about the news to you, um, if that is a also a way to monetize it. Yeah, it's uh, it's remarkable. The way of monetizing I mean, trust, essentially, and trust is right. Yes, I mean, look, it's kind of what we're doing here. Let's all be brutally honest. But um, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to, like, you guys can tell me to go in some direction. You're going to have to make a compelling argument. Like, I I am who I am. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm not going to play to you guys or whatever. And, um, you know, you can like it or dislike it. It's up to you. I like but to think it's more it like a school. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was saying yeah. I like to think this is more like a school. But uh, on the topic of uh, people like Tim Pool. You know, a lot of dissident material has long been called uh, intellectual pornography, sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly. Um, a lot of the so-called intellectual porn is actually um, factual and, you know, kept out of the mainstream. But I think that epithet really applies to people like Fuentes, but also people, especially people who are allowed in the mainstream, like Tim Pool, like, I don't know, Stephen Crowder, Joe Rogan, etc. Yes. Because all they do is provide a certain emotion, which is kind of free-floating Right, so it, it's lowbrow, hard on fuel. So, like, pornography delivers an immediate hit. And so, when you call this stuff political pornography, right, you're just saying that it's, it's feeding into these resentments, to these easy, easily accessed emotions that people don't have to work for it. So, with, with pornography, people don't have to work for, you know, understanding the narrative arc. Never have to assimilate new information. I mean, what this gives us is the hilarious irony that the Trump cult hates Trump's greatest achievement, which is the vaccine from Operation Warp Speed. Yes. Um, so, like, you watch Tim Pool, and it does, it will never be consistent because he doesn't have a worldview. So, John Smith, you you live in Australia. You thought you were blocked. Now I can see all your comments. So, how do you like living in Australia? Like, have you lived overseas? Uh, do you do you value living in a high trust, highly cohesive? Society where most people feel like the government, for all its flaws, is on their side. Like you watched him pull just to say, "No, that's bullshit, man." For like every yeah. single thing that happens. Yes, I see that actually even further than that. I mean, I, I noticed that with like the crystal ball and and jetty 
Like, I don't watch them a lot. I remember watching them quite a bit during 2020. Hold on one moment here. Come on, Richard. I'm trying to do a show. You sort of present them as an expert, like Joe Rogan. It's sort of weird, though, because he would have on, he'll have on Tulsi Gabbard. They don't have on, like, Peter, you know, buy my gold shekel shift. It's like, dude. <laughs> yeah. What, like, what, like, 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 what direction are you going in, man? Like, well, also, <laughs> to, go, to go back to this, the, the, the idea of free-floating resentment, so much of it is, like, metacriticism. So what, what, I, was, what I was talking about with Crystal and Sagar and Jetty, yeah, you know, look, are they the worst? No, they're not the worst. And sometimes they'll have some pretty good takes and whatever. Um, I don't want to really totally throw them under the bus. But um, it, it just seems like the entirety of, like, what are they actually saying? What is your actual take? It is that cable news just isn't doing their job. Or, like, people don't trust the mainstream media. They're not telling, you know. And it's like, that, that's such a, it's, it's like a neutral, like, just kind of meaningless, <laughs> like, thesis. You know? Like, it, it's, it, it's like, I, I don't know, it's like individualism or democracy. It's, it's like an empty ideal. You know, like, the question isn't democracy, but, like, what are you voting for? Or are you an individual? Okay. Like, what does that mean? You're a, you're a pedophile or you are a poet? You know, there's a big difference. Both of those are individualists, you know, at some level. Right. So, uh, you know, it's just this kind of, like, again, free-floating resentment is probably the best way to describe it. It's just we hate the institutions. They're all – they're not getting it right. What do you actually say? I mean, the irony of, like, Sagar and Jetty and Crystal Ball is that, like, I, the value that I get from them is when they're kind of, like, giving me a pretty – like mainstream <laughs> accurate assessment of a world <laughs> you know like you know it's like when they act like the news but it's just a little more friendly and accessible that's like when i gain value from them and when they kind of go deep into what they're all about i'm just like pass <laughs> and anyway. they don't provide any concrete solutions to anything it's just no. it's like it's like resentment porn is what it is yeah you know yeah. if you listen to steven if you listen to steven brown he's like the stiffler of politics like he has that same attitude and everything is um Here's my slightly edgy, but I'm actually here for the lol libertarian take and how wokeness will eventually fall because we're going to go back to a small government and a gold standard, and that's the way we're going to do it, boys. Like, that's, that is basically his bit in amongst the comedy routine. Yeah. Yeah, those guys boil it down to homo economicus. Look, we can only handle so much dissonance in our life, right? We all need comfort. And if your life is chaotic, then you're going to have a, much more of a need for... You know, pre, pre-masticated you know, punditry, right? If if you're having a hard time with with life, right, you're going to need comfort wherever you can get it. And so I think that's what's going on with with many people when it comes to their entertainment choices. Big sunglasses. We are not allowed to look in his eyes. But I think, like, the more at ease you are with yourself, like, the more bonded you are to other people because you're at ease with yourself. Other people sense your ease. Therefore, they feel relaxed with you. Therefore, they can open up to you. You open up to other people, right? If you're functional, if you're navigating your way through life effectively, you have less need for external comfort, such as punditry that only fits with your prejudices, right? You're more prepared to struggle in your choices of movies tv shows podcasts books right but if your life is a mess if you're filled with fear anxiety rage depression sadness then you can have much more of a need for comfort from your pundits and from your books and from your magazines and from your podcasts right if you haven't achieved the inner peace then you'll try to mainline it artificially
and you won't be able to handle you know, a contrary perspective. down to economics on the micro level even in some capacity it's sort of astounding quite frankly um or it's kind of like the, uh we would get rid of um the left as a social and political phenomenon if we just got rid of public schools who knows yeah it, it is it, it is um it is pretty meaningless um at the end of the day it is, is that power of that personality um i uh, i don't understand how it doesn't He's not repulsed by Candace Owens personality like I am. Like politics aside, just listening to her talk, she is so unlikable to me. This, but no one else seems to see that. Well, I think everyone sees that. I mean, it's just a power for a certain segment of the audience. A black woman exactly. reiterating their talking points is just you, you know that it's, it, you might as well be showing them porn, right? It's actually it's it's a huge uh, part of it. <laughs> okay, so there's something for audience having there that we dare not speculate on. Yeah, everything. I don't know of a braver pundit in America today than Candace Owens. I mean, I think she's incredibly brave. Luke leaves the U.S. before the big vote. Australia is his bug-out boogaloo spot. <laughs> so there was a big, uh, big COVID outbreak in uh, Los Angeles right after I left. But uh, a lot of people trash Candace Owens. I think she's incredibly brave. She provides a lot of value as a pundit. I, 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 she, I put her in my top five of pundits along with Ann Coulter and uh, Tucker Carlson, Mickey Kaus. Also, it's interesting. She, I, I notice this whenever I'll see her. She straightened her hair and she, she kind of is giving off a very strong white vibe. And I doubt she was doing that like five years ago. <laughs> no, I think that's the way she talks. Like, this, this is what I hear every time she talks. She's standard, trite cliches of conservatism. And it's in that, this voice. Like, the left can't stop losing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is really annoying. But but also, I, I saw this on, um, again, I do kind of cursory research, but I think I, I don't want to spend too much time on conservatives. But um, I remember when I was like looking into John Doyle, and I actually did listen to his entire thing on Russia, which he said three things for an hour and a half over and over again. Um, but he was interviewed by Candace Owens, like he was on, and all they were doing was reacting to libs of TikTok videos. So they, were, they just had them on, and they were showing these you know crazy kindergarten teachers talking about Okay, so they're appealing to a 100 IQ audience. Uh, what do I think about Colin Liddell's insinuation that Richard Spencer is the Fed? I, I don't agree with it. But uh, it is interesting that Michael Edison Hayden, the, the gay Southern Poverty Law Center journalist and, and attack dog researcher, how protective he is of Richard Spencer. That, that's kind of weird. And implying that he knows things that other people don't know and that everyone should just lay off Richard Spencer. It's kind of weird that a Antifa lefty journalist like Michael Edison Hayden of the Southern Poverty Law Center is so protective of Richard Spencer. About gender and stuff like that. And you're like, I just can't believe this. Like, wow, get help, please. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah, that's, a, that's a huge part of it now. Is um, Matt Walsh, um, Ben Shapiro, they're doing reaction videos like they Matt Walsh is really funny, really smart, really talented, man. He's, uh, he's very clever, very funny. Twenty-year-old version. Yes, and exactly yes. what you just said, Richard. And but yeah, all these retards are just lapping it up. Yeah. Well, why are these pundits like doing these like cringy things? Because they're trying to make a living. It's not easy making a living from punditry. Like journalism is rarely paid for itself. Punditry is rarely paid for itself. National Review, New Republic, never been financially sustainable, financially independent. They've always 
required subsidies. So people who want to make a living have to give an audience what it wants to hear. Right? Those, those are just part of the, the, the challenges of being in business. And it's very similar because I, I imagine that that was, at least in my experience, that was coming from people doing entertainment um, journalism. You know, like, you know, this huge genre is reacting to trailers. And, you know, like... Look, if journalism has never paid for itself, then you have to move outside of journalism if you want to get the funding to do journalism, right? If you want to get the funding to do journalism, you have to break the mold of journalism, step outside of journalism, and try to do things that are popular that will get funding that will then enable you to do the things you really want to do. Like the new Rise of Skywalker trailer just drops. Like, let me show you the Easter eggs or whatever. And then certainly, like, reviewing movies in this kind of reaction way. And it's kind of funny how that whole genre has kind of, like, moved into politics, where, yeah, Matt Walsh, like, that's what he does. He he has a... Matt Walsh probably does have a basic worldview, that's kind of yeah. Protestant, gold, very Goldwater Protestantism. Um, but, you know, there's not a whole lot there. But it's basically just like... I think Matt Walsh is highly intelligent, very skilled, very funny. Uh, like, I think he's at absolute top of his game. Uh, thumbs up to Matt Walsh. Um, this young man, uh, his name is uh, Barry Nelson. Uh, he is a man, uh, born one, and he is now pretending to be a woman. And he is doing makeup material makeup uh, tutorials on YouTube, and uh, this is what he has to say, and uh, he apparently thinks chromosomes don't exist. Well, that's uh, new to us. Uh, do you think you can define what a woman is? I'm not sure. You know, they just, you know, I could do this. Yeah, I Look, Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens, and Nick Fuentes, and Tim Pool, they all have to make their living. They all try to make their living from their online efforts. Therefore, they have to pander to a lower IQ audience than Richard Spencer does, who's independently wealthy. Right? When you're independently wealthy, when you have independent financial support, when you don't depend upon maximizing your audience size, then you can afford to be more highbrow, to be more intellectually responsible. Right? It's a lot easier to do the right thing when you've got money in the bank. Right? When you're responsible for, say, the employment of dozens of people, which is the case with Ben Shapiro and other people at the, the Daily Wire, then you have to take that into consideration and do things that attract a large audience to keep that money flowing in. So you can't judge them by the same standards that you apply to yourself. But I notice Richard doing what something that I have long done, is I always try to look at people through varying perspectives and like try to think... Oh, through this angle, I'm superior to this person. Yeah, through this angle, I'm braver than this person. Yeah, from this angle, I'm deeper than this person. Yeah, from, from this angle, I have more clarity than this person. Yeah, from this angle, you know, I'm telling tougher truths than this person's willing to say. Right? I, I think this is a universal human compulsion to favorably compare ourselves to others. And I think that I probably had it you know, much more intensely than uh, the average person. Howard Stern in the 2010s went full into professional interviews. Yeah, I haven't heard much positive about Howard Stern in about 20 years. Seems to have lost his edge. Bye-bye.